Acts chapter 10. As Pastor Sean announced, we are having a baptism today after third service. And so we're going to take the opportunity this morning to talk about baptism. It's important. Is it that important? It's necessity. Is, is it necessary? Do, do we need to be baptized? Why? What does it accomplish? What's, what's the deal with baptism? We're going to talk about that this morning. We'll get to Acts chapter 10 in a few minutes. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Lord, we thank you for the gathering of the church. We delight in being a people who are saved by you that get to together gather around you on Sundays. We, we appreciate this gathering. And we come here expecting you to be present. You're the one who walks among the churches, the book of Revelation says. We, we expect you to be here and we want to experience you. And we want to hear from you. Thank you that your word is just that, your word and not the words of men. We ask that we would have your word this morning and that this man wouldn't clutter it up or confuse it or add to it or subtract from it. That we would get your word and that would it accomplish your purposes in our lives. Lord, please anoint me to communicate in a way that glorifies you and is consistent with your truth and accomplishes what you want in this church, in our communities, and in the world. Bless this time for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been thinking lately as we're going to uh, another campus here in the coastlands about the beginning of our church. And our church really started here on the beach in Carpinteria. Before it was actually a church, in the mid-90s, my wife and I, Kate and I, weren't attending church at all. Uh, for two reasons. One, I, I worked for Channel Island Surfboards at the time, the family business, and part of what I did was coach amateur surfers toward a professional career. So I was at surf contests every single weekend, Sundays included. So there really wasn't time for church. In addition, we just really didn't want to go to church. We, we didn't have a desire to go. i uh, never been to one that we thought was worth going to. And so we just didn't go to church. But we were uh, Christians, and we were just kind of getting our legs underneath us as Christians, and we were attending a Bible study here in Carpinteria. Uh, Fritz and Penny Velasquez, who are active members in this church, had that Bible study at the time for kids who were just out of high school, and we got invited uh, by some girls that we knew, and we were going there, and we were growing in the Lord. And as we were growing in the Lord and hearing more about Jesus, they walked us through the book of Isaiah, they walked us through the Gospels, they walked us through the Epistles, they walked us through the book of Revelation. As as we're learning more about Christ and getting excited about Him, we had this this burgeoning sense of mission. In, In other words, we wanted to tell other people about Jesus. And we realized that the kids that we surfed with every day right here in Carpinteria didn't have anybody in their context telling them about Jesus, at least not that we could see. Yeah, we were these kids all day, all the time, surfing, hanging out. We were just in their lives, and they were part of our lives. And as we were talking about this with Fritz and Penny at that Bible study, we, we began to really sense the call of God, that we were supposed to do something about that. We were supposed to tell them about the wonderful love of God in Christ. So we went back down to Tar Pits one day where all the kids surf, and they're all hanging out there. And uh, I lived with my parents at the time, and we said, listen, if you come back to my parents' house, you know, tomorrow night, we'll, we'll have some cake, and we'll watch a surf video, and we'll do this Bible study thing. 
and just kind of slid that in there. And uh, they came for the cake and the videos, of course. And, and they came the next night, and uh, we watched a surf video, and my mom made German chocolate cake. She makes the most insane German chocolate cake in the world with this, like, brown frosting with coconut, and it's unbelievable. She made that. We watched the video. We ate it. And then I stumbled through fumble to be a better word, some attempt at a gospel presentation. You know, so here's all these kids, none of them Christians, sitting in this room, there's Kate and I, and I had never done anything like this in my life, nor had I ever intended to. And I was fumbling through something, and I will tell you, I myself was confused about the gospel. (laughs) As I was speaking, I wasn't confused about it until I started talking about it and trying to explain it to them. I was horribly confused. And I can remember, I just threw the Bible shot and I just said, you know what, guys? If you know that you're sinners that are going to hell without Jesus and you want to give Jesus your life right now and be forgiven of your sins, raise your hand. Every kid just went, boom. And they all got saved in my parents' living room that night. Every single kid that was there got saved. And the next week they brought uh, some of their friends and the following week they brought some more friends and all these kids were getting saved. Somehow word got out to uh, an elder at one of the local churches in the area. And I I didn't know him as an elder. I didn't even know he was an elder. I I knew him through the surf community. And uh, I saw him at the beach one day and he came up to me and said, look, I heard there's this Bible study going on at your parents' house and all these kids are getting saved. I was like, yeah, it's crazy. And he goes, they need to be baptized. And I, I, I was taken aback by his abruptness. They need to be baptized. He had the sense of urgency. They'd been saved, no doubt. I'd seen him get saved. I saw transformation in their life. They were saved. But this, this local elder said, they need to be baptized. We took him back down to the beach, went to Jelly Bowl, and we, we baptized them all. Why the urgency? You, you know, we see the same urgency in the book of Acts with regards to baptism. Right after the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church on Pentecost, Peter preaches the first sermon in the New Testament, and and it was a scorcher. It was like, in your face, better get right sermon. And so in Acts chapter 2, at the end of the sermon, he says this, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, how's that? To be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced them to the heart. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This real sense of urgency, you guys crucified the Messiah, what do we do? Repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. Bam. We see a similar thing when Philip has had his encounter with the Ethiopian treasurer. He, he was a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, and he's a... Uh, in the vicinity of Jerusalem on his carriage, and the Holy Spirit told Philip to go alongside the carriage and and listen to what was going on. So Philip rolls up alongside this carriage on the road, and he's walking, and he overhears this Ethiopian eunuch and court official, this treasurer for the queen, reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says to him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, not even. How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? And so Philip is willing to do that. He gets invited up into the carriage and he begins to explain Jesus to this guy from the book of Isaiah. And then it says in Acts chapter eight, and Philip opened his mouth and preached Jesus to him. 
And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And he answered and said, I I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip baptized the man that moment. There was this urgency. Even the man recognized, I believe, let's, let's do baptism right now. And Philip agreed. We, we see a similar thing in the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9, right? Paul, the apostle, was previously Saul. He's on the way to Damascus to murder Christians, right? Not yet a Christian. Jesus encounters him on the road to, Nana- to, to Damascus, knocks him off his feet and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then strikes him blind. And now Saul's going to be blind for three days. And the whole time he's blind, he doesn't eat anything or drink anything, Acts chapter 9 says. He's straight tripping, right? He like was going to kill Christians and says, sees Jesus on the road saying, why are you messing with me, fool? And now he's blind and he's not eating anything. The Lord then sends this guy named Ananias to restore the sight of Paul and, and to help him realize his commissioning by the Lord. And, and when Ananias goes, it says, and immediately there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. And then he took food and was strengthened. There again, we, we have this sense of urgency. You guys crucified Christ. What do we do? Repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized right now. You believe in Jesus? What do we do? Stop the chariot, baptize right now. The scales fall from his eyes. He sees Christ in his glory, his Messiah, Savior of the world. He hasn't eaten for three days. Let's do baptism first, and then we'll worry about food and drink. In that local elder, there was this real sense of urgency. Those kids are getting saved. They need to be baptized. In the book of Acts, there is a real sense of urgency. Now, why is that? Is it because baptism is necessary for salvation? That... that, That's an important question. And there are verses in the New Testament that if you just grab those verses, would seem to say that, would imply that. So much so that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that. You must be baptized to be saved. Parts of the Church of Christ teach that. Some Lutherans teach that. And quite a few Episcopalians teach that. We could spend some time explaining why we don't teach that, why we do not believe that you must be baptized to be saved. We don't believe that. Quite simply because the whole of Scripture doesn't seem to say that. It doesn't seem to make baptism the issue for salvation. It seems to make faith in Christ and His finished work the issue for salvation. And yet Jesus had this real urgency and seemed to communicate necessity with regards to being baptized. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He who has believed and been baptized will be saved. He who is believed and been baptized will be saved. He who is disbelieved shall not be saved. A cursory reading would make you think, gosh, to be saved, you've got, you got to be baptized and you've got to believe and, and be baptized. But, but notice that Jesus made faith, belief, the key issue, right? He didn't say, and if you don't believe and you're not baptized, you won't be saved. Jesus demonstrates that baptism isn't the issue, but rather faith is with a thief on the cross, Right? Thief on the cross expressed that he believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't require, okay, listen, we got to get you off the cross. You got to go and be baptized. Then you could come to paradise. 
So though Jesus expresses, as did the local elder, as does the book of Acts, vis-a-vis the apostles, though he expresses an urgency and some, some necessity for being baptized, he doesn't make it the primary issue. He makes faith, belief in who he is and what he has done the priority. But the norm for the church is that whenever possible, people should be baptized right away. Acts chapter 10 Pick it up in verse 44. Peter's been called by the Holy Spirit to go preach to Cornelius and his household. He'll be the first, uh, they'll be the first Gentile converts. This will be the first time that the Spirit is given to the Gentiles. And it says in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, Peter's in the middle preaching them. It says, preaching to them, excuse me. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It was evident that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. They'd been regenerated. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, notice what happens here. It's very clear that they're saved. Peter's preaching. Obviously, they're believing. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And we'll assume that the Holy Spirit is in them. And and, and they're manifesting evidence that they've been born again. Right? They're already saved. Evidenced by the Holy Spirit. Then Peter orders that they be baptized. Immediately. It wasn't a non-important issue. It wasn't not to be mentioned. He, he says, now baptize them. Any objections are obviously saved. Any Jewish objections, no, let's baptize them. Again, Peter had the same urgency that Christ displayed, that the book of Acts displays, that that local elder displayed. Jesus said this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said that in the Great Commission, he, he made baptism a command for every Christian. That's what he did there. Baptism is a command. The, the apostles saw it the same way. That's why Peter said to Israel after Pentecost, be baptized. That's why he said about Cornelius and his household, let's baptize them right away. Baptism then becomes a matter of obedience. We should be baptized out of obedience because Jesus said so. Okay, that, that's kind of good enough, but that's not really good enough for everybody. I mean, what's the why behind that? We pull that off as parents, sort of, right? Like, uh, you know, we went on vacation for a long time recently, and uh, my kids came back with just not, not the same level of obedience they had before. You know how vacation is. I guess we were slacking off, but they're driving me nuts lately. Like every time I ask him to do something, I've got to ask him like nine times to do it. And they're questioning everything. So I can't even remember what it was yesterday, but I had asked one of them to do something. And they're like, why? I'm like, what? <laughs> why? What do you mean why? Well, why should I do that? What are you, you little freak? Because I said so. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Because daddy said so, you better do it now. Because I said so. How many of you heard that when you were growing up? Why? Because I say so. Okay. 
I do that, but better parents than me (laughs) realize that that's not really good enough. There needs to be some substantive truth behind the command. And God always gives us substantive, beautiful truth behind his commands. It's not merely because I said so. There's some inherent value, beauty, process in what God asks us to do. So yes, baptism is an issue of obedience, but there's a very rich why. Here's why. A clue is given to us when Jesus had baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's sort of the formal formulation, the formal baptismal formulation. We'll say it today when we baptize everybody. We baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I'll say ghost because I like that old King James language. And then bam! Longer for some of you just... But that... that that's sort of the formal baptismal formulation, but... Peter just said this, you should be baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay, same thing. The salient point is in the name. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. In in the name of Christ. What does it mean in the name? In in biblical framework, in in the name says it has something to do with the quality, the character, the place, and the position of the person that you're referring to. Okay, has something to do with the quality, the character, the place, and the position of the person that you're referring to. So if you're doing something in the name of Jesus, it has something to do with his place of exaltation, his position in the Godhead, his quality as Lord of the universe, right? His character as a perfect spotless lamb of God. So when we're we're being baptized in the name of Jesus, then we are being baptized connected to, identified with, and becoming allegiant to the character, quality, place, and position of Christ. Okay, when, when you do something in the name of, it denotes connectivity, identity, and allegiance. Connectivity, identity, and allegiance to the person of Christ. Now, here's how this works out in the life of the believer. As we look at the message of the New Testament as it pertains to salvation, we see that the key issues are this. Faith, repentance, and baptism. Faith, repentance, and baptism. We must believe, right? We, we, we are saved by grace through faith, not merely intellectually, intellectually sending to ideas, but putting all of our hope and trust in Christ and what he's done. Faith, repentance. We must turn from what we previously trusted in and turn to God. Faith, repentance, and baptism. Now, here's the interesting thing about faith and repentance. These are primarily inward activities, inward realities. There'll always be some outward expression of them. James would say, if you've got faith, I'm going to see it in your life. There's going to be some works that go along with it. And repentance also will have some outward manifestation always. But, But it's primarily an inward action where we're saying, I believe And I repent. I'm changing my mind about those things. And and I'm believing in Christ. And what these inward actions then uh, allow for is the inward action of God toward us. That he saves us. We're born again. 
We're saved. We're made brand new. We're washed. We're forgiven. All things become new. Where we were previously guilty, we're now declared innocent. Where we were previously awash in our shame, we've now been accepted. Where we were previously stained with sin and guilt, we're now washed white as snow. Where we were previously separated from God, we're now joined to God through the work of Christ. Where we previously had no hope, we now have the hope of eternity. Where we were previously going to hell, we're now going to heaven. Don't get me started. That's an inward work that God does in us by his spirit because of our inward faith and repentance. Baptism now is the outward display of those inward realities. Baptism is, is is the outward display of both your faith and repentance and God's work of regeneration. Baptism is the outward display of those inward works. So so we could say it this way. Through repentance, we are breaking connectivity with, ceasing to identify with, and halting our allegiance to anything else that used to rule us. Sin, the devil, idols, materialism, self-importance. Through repentance, we are breaking connectivity with, ceasing to identify with, and halting allegiance to those things that formerly used to rule us. Through faith, we become connected with, we now identify with, and become allegiant to Jesus. So through repentance, we're breaking old allegiances. Through faith, we have a new allegiance to Jesus, a new connectivity, a new identity. Through baptism, we are shown visibly to be connected to Jesus. We are shown publicly to be identified with Christ. And we declare before the church and the world that our allegiance is to him. You see, baptism speaks of it in a visual, real, demonstrative way of our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. That's an important theological idea that we've talked about a lot lately. Our union with Christ. This idea that Christ is in us because of the work of the cross, faith and repentance. And and, and we are in Christ. Christ is with us. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. This union of Christ, that, that phrase is used to denote all those multifaceted truths about that relationship we have with him. The, the idea is this. In our union of Christ, for the purpose of our salvation, the Father chooses to consider what is true of Christ to be true of us. For the purposes of our salvation, the Father chooses to consider what is true of Christ to be true of us. Not things like his deity, okay? You're not becoming God, but rather things that accomplish the work of our salvation. His perfect life credited to our account. He becomes our righteousness. His death on our behalf, right? His resurrection from the dead. Ephesians 2 talks about his exaltation, his being seated in the heavenlies and we with him. For the purposes of our salvation, the Father chooses to 
consider what is true of Christ to be true of us because he has ordained that Christ becomes a representative of sinful humanity. Thus God made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God. So our union with Christ speaks of what is true about Christ and the work of salvation being true about us from God's perspective. So just as Christ died for sin, we have died to sin. It's power and it's penalty. Just as Christ rose from the dead in victory and in glory, we are risen to new life. Just as Christ is exalted and seated in the heavens, we are seated with him. Romans gets at this. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 20 and go right into chapter 6. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Romans 5, starting in verse 20, says this. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Stop right there. The more familiar translations say, we're sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. We love that. Part of the gospel is that we are more wicked than we could possibly imagine. The reason the law is given is to prove this, to demonstrate, to show this to us, that we are more wicked than we could ever imagine. The law only and always shows us to be bad. And the worse we are, the more grace there is. Trip out. Like, you can't out-sin God's grace. Like, you're just a little bit bad, a little bit of grace. You're like nasty, funky, just horrific bad, more grace. That's what it says. The more people sin, the more grace there was. That, that's weird. Verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul anticipates your question. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? If grace is so wonderful and the more you sin, the more grace there is, then I should sin more. Perfectly logical. Perfectly logical. If it weren't for the truth and necessity of baptism and what it represents with regards to our salvation. So that's what Paul says next. Verse 2, he says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with, joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, connectivity, identity, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. From the Father's perspective, for our salvation, what is true of Christ becomes true of us. Christ died on the cross. We, not in a physical way, nor in a mystical way, but for the purposes of salvation from God's perspective, we died at that cross to sin. Verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. 
And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And since we have been united with him, there's that rich theological phrase, since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. Somebody say hallelujah. Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Christ. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So also should you consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. These incredible spiritual realities that our old sinful nature and the penalty and the wrath of God that it incurred has been done away with along with the penalty and the wrath. That we have a new nature, a new life, new hope. These incredible gospel truths that we understand as a church, these incredible gospel truths are made visible in the world through baptism. They're made visible in the world through baptism. Why is baptism necessary? It's necessary for us. Because the physical is not unimportant. God created you with a physical body. God created the physical reality. He spoke into existence all that we can see and touch and taste and feel. And our salvation is meant to be experienced in the whole of our being from the very beginning. Baptism is to be the beginning of the Christian life. We sometimes wait and time passes and that's okay. God doesn't undo what he did. But, but his intent was that we would immediately experience in a way that engages all of the senses what has been instantly done by the Holy Spirit to us because of what Christ did for us. In the same way that, that Christ gave us communion, Right? We're to do it in remembrance of him. And in doing it, we proclaim his death until he comes. Well, that, that, that's a physical experience of, of what Christ did for us, right? We come and we take up the bread and, and, and we could feel the weight of it and the texture of it. We put it in our mouth and, and, and we could taste it. And Christ said, that's, that's my body. And the same with the juice, he said, that, that's my blood. And, and we could feel the, the temperature of it and, and the wetness of it. And if it, as it goes down our throat with the bread, we ingest it. It is this experience God has given us of what God has done for us that engages all the senses. Because God made you with senses. And this is one of the ways that we begin at the very beginning of the Christian life to experience what has been done for us. As we are immersed in the water, and immersion is a way to do it. The the very Greek word speaks of immersion. Listen, uh, sprinkling doesn't cut it, okay? 
Because the idea of us being united with Christ is, is too deep for that. It's like we're immersed in Christ. Christ is in us and we're in him. It's like this immersion thing. And so baptism speaks of immersion. So, so when we are immersed in the water, in a certain way, we, we now experience and feel death. We're experiencing the death of Christ. We're, we're identifying and connected to the death that Christ died on our behalf. We're going into the grave, so to speak. When we come up out of the water, we are suddenly those who were brought through the waters of judgment. As Noah and his family were brought through the waters of judgment during the flood on the ark. We now see ourselves as those who were brought through the waters of judgment by the death of Christ, and we are suddenly risen up out of the water. It was a watery grave of judgment, and just as Christ burst forth in glory from the grave, we now burst forth in newness of life. So we experience his death. We could feel it. We're immersed in it. It's all around us, and and we come forth, and we experience his resurrection. There's light again. We can see. Everything feels different than it did when we were under the water. Not least of which, that sense that the, the, the sins have been washed away. Come, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be washed white as snow. We've been washed, purified, made clean. That which polluted us and condemned us is left behind in the watery grave, washed away once and for all. And Everything is different when we come forward. That, that thing then, that, that, that physical experience becomes a, a, a mode of communication. It communicates to us, right? It's to be the beginning of the Christian life. It communicates to us, wow, what, what happened to me inside is, is real. I'm, I'm acting it out. It communicates to us in a new way, just like communion does. That's why you guys come and take it week after week, right? Because it reminds you of the truth of the cross. Yeah. Baptism does that. But then baptism also communicates to the church. It communicates to the church this. I'm now connected with, I identify with, and I'm allegiant to Jesus. And if 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 you are too, if you're connected to, identified with, and allegiant to Christ, then I'm connected to you. If we're all connected to Christ, then we're all connected. That's why we're called the body of Christ. If we're all connected to Christ and identify with and allegiant to, then in some very real God-ordained way, I am connected to you, I identify with you, and I'm allegiant to you. We are allegiant to one another as the church of Christ. This should be profound and real. Jesus said, you're going to recognize Christians by the way they love each other. Because through baptism and what it represents, we're connected to, identify with, and allegiant to one another. So it communicates this this profound thing to us. It, It communicates to the church, but it also communicates to the world. It's, it's put on display for the whole world to see. That's why we do it at the beach. That's why we don't do it inside the church. We, we want the world to see new life. 
We want the world to see men and women who are broken and rebellious saying, I'm connected to Jesus. I identify with him. I'm allegiant to him. We want the world to see people saying what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we've, we have truly, through faith and repentance, died to the old way of life, and we have brand new life. And baptism is, is, a, is a living picture of that before the world. Because it happens through faith and repentance, we don't baptize children. I shouldn't say children, kids, infant baptism, pedo-baptism. Because what infant repents and believes? The clear structure of the New Testament is that we are to believe, repent, and be baptized. What baby believes and repents? So, were you baptized as a baby? It's not wrong. You're not in trouble for that. But that's not what the Bible talks about when it says baptism. It talks about a believer's baptism. At whatever age that is, my, my daughter Daisy is getting baptized today. She's seven years old. Yeah, praise God. What, 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 whatever age that is, where you can truly believe in what Christ did for you and repent of your sins and put your hope in him, then you are to be baptized. And so it becomes for us a celebration. That's what baptism is. It's a celebration because what greater thing to celebrate than what's been done for us by the love of God through Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross. So baptism becomes a, a time and a place and a way that we who have all together passed through the waters of judgment, celebrate that once again. And that celebration is so profound. I've been thinking about that this week on a couple different levels. Uh, One of my aunts died yesterday afternoon. One of my mom's sisters. And then yesterday morning, one of our elders here, Stan Sinclair, his niece, 29 years old, died. And so I'm thinking about our baptism today, yesterday, as I'm getting this news, and I'm thinking about the brevity of life and the horror of death. My cousin was overseas serving in the military when his mom died, didn't have time to get home. She leaves two kids and a husband behind. The 29-year-old young lady that just died left a brand-new husband behind. I'm thinking about the brevity of life and the horror of death. And then I think about baptism. Where in a world filled with brokenness, hurt, and pain, we're given an opportunity and a moment to celebrate life and what God has done for us in giving us life. This has to be an issue and a moment of celebration for the church. Not only that, but this week as I've been musing on the idea of baptism, one of the habits of my life is to preach the gospel to myself. And part of the gospel is that I'm more wicked than I could ever imagine. And so I thought about my own wickedness just a little bit this week. And I'll tell you, I was appalled at how much I sinned this week. This week. 
I was appalled at the ways in which I sinned this week. I thought about a whole life of sin. And then I thought about baptism. And I said, this, this has to be a moment of celebration where we rehearse, see, enjoy, celebrate, experience with all the senses once again the truth that we've been forgiven, washed white as snow. It's not that you would be baptized again if you've already been baptized as an adult, but, but, but you're going to come after third service. This is why we invite the whole church. And you see it happening again. And when you see them come up out of the water and you think about their sins in the water, you celebrate. Because the gospel party is the greatest party on the face of the earth. And so the church celebrates when we act it out. And so we need to be baptized. It's an obedient experience and telling and celebration of what God has done for us because of his great love. And it communicates to us, the church, the world. Lord, we thank you for these beautiful things. And we thank you for baptism and our opportunity to do it together again once today. And we know that as we're obeying you and telling that story visibly and celebrating, we know that Holy Spirit, you will be present creating in us new joy, confirming in us our sonship before God, reminding us of the truth of grace abounding even when our sin seems to be making great strides. Thank you that today, Holy Spirit, for those being baptized and those of us watching and participating, the joy of the Lord will be ours. I invite you guys to take communion today to remember and celebrate the cross.